it should reset. It's hashtag TFT, Trump Free Tuesday. We've got a hashtag for it, and we've even, we even spell out the letters when we say it. The T, F, F T, T, Trump Free Tuesday. Like YMCA. But it's a twofold. lot like YMCA. Right. Well, speaking, of, uh, speaking of that, coming up, the most danceable songs. According to science? Ever recorded, according to science. I don't know if you need science. Yes, you do. Do you need to just have people in a room and play the song and see, see how you react? You ever seen me dance? I need science. It's funny, observing my children, my, my oldest son, who used to just love it when I'd throw some music on and he would dance around the house. Won't do it anymore. Just mm. a little too, it's just, you know, uncomfortable with it, embarrassed or whatever. His younger brother's still into it, just dancing like crazy. But it's too bad that that happens to us as human beings. Now you stop and think about your dignity. Bob Seger said that. I mean, you worry, right. worry about how you look or I don't, I don't know what happens. It how happens you're being that, judged by your peers. It's just human nature, but it's too bad that it happens. It's, it's nice when you just don't care. Would you like people dance around in the office? Is that what you want? Some sort of dance, dance revolution world? It doesn't have to be dance specifically, but just being self-conscious about stuff like that. Yeah, when, well, when it doesn't matter. No. If it gives, no. brings you joy, who, who gives a damn what anybody else thinks? No, I hear you completely. Mary says, I'm not very good at dancing. What do you mean? When you wave your arms around. Who cares? Try this line on him. Dancing's not about looking good. It's about feeling good. <laughs> Bull ass, Dad. And that'll be his response. <laughs> anyway, so um, I'm a little uncomfortable with this topic. It's it's basically how difficult it is for 30 year olds today. One of the reasons I'm a little uh, uncomfortable with this topic is I've been hearing how, and I'm old enough now for this, I've been hearing how hard it is for this current crop of young people, how rough it is today for 30 years that I've been paying attention. Mm. It's always extra hard in right now for young people at every point during the last 30 years that have been paying attention. In one way or another. Yeah. Sure. So you point out in various ways that it's... Well, and listen, it, so goes humanity. You find yourself in your environment, you go from there. That's just the way life is and has been for millennia. So, you know, you can, you can uh, shout, what was me, or you can just deal with it. Find a way. But we've sprinkled so what do humans do. We've sprinkled a few of these in over the last couple of days. Just some of it is just major sociological changes. And then the cause and effect you could probably argue about for well the rest of your life. <laughs> Whether it's cause and effect and that sort of stuff. Sure. What what's just cultural for instance the fact that people are waiting way longer to get married and have kids if they get if they get married and have kids at all, is that a um I'll use extreme examples. Is that is is that as Bernie Sanders might say, the economy's made it impossible for people to raise families? Or going to the other extreme, is it people are so self-centered and selfish and childish that they just want to have fun all the time, and so that's why they don't want to do it? Right. It's probably not those extremes, but many factors, of course, all of those things probably weigh in. And then one starts to amplify the other. I think. Uh, fertility rate's a problem because you have to be at at least 2.1 live births per woman to maintain your population. That's which, because, uh, Jack, men don't give birth. So, that's why the woman has to show, shoulder the burden, 2.1. Women do have to shoulder the burden of having babies come out of them. There is no doubt about First that. First time I ever heard the statistic. Here's why I point that out. First time I ever heard that, I said, well, wait a minute. That would double the population. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, dudes, right. Dudes, they don't have kids. Right. Almost never. 
Right. Please um, send us the story about the transgender quote unquote man who gave birth. You got a womb. You got a kid coming out of you. You're a woman. So when uh, current baby boomers were in their 20s back in the day, which was uh, 60s and 70s, the fertility rate was 2.48. Well above replacement. You're going to have a growing population, which will, the way we've crafted a, a welfare state, will continue the welfare state of going along just fine as you'll have more workers coming in to support the retirees, et cetera, et cetera. Please Google pyramid scheme. Today, it's 1.76. Holy cats! Yeah. Now, is that among all Americans or... Because that's why we're importing illegals by the millions, don't you know? It's because they have babies. That's the reason. Um, yeah, exactly. He is like a little baby. That's right, Mr. President, because he's an infant. Oh, wait a minute. Was that a violation? Wait a minute. That, play the buzzer yeah, on yourself. that was a violation. Michael. I just realized it. Or a sad trombone, whichever you prefer. It is a Trump-free Tuesday, sir. Hashtag Trump-free Tuesday. Right. Uh, the percentage of 25, this is some good news, I guess. Uh, the percentage of 25 to 29-year-old African-American and Hispanics with at least... With, hmm. <sighs> Slow down. It'll be okay. I do it, too. I start to read and I rush. Worry about expression. Just... What? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's that? Despair. I smell despair. <laughs> Why would you listen to a guy who can't talk on the radio? That is an apt question. I would hit the dial and find somebody who can talk. Sure. Someone who can speak. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ah, so 20-something African Americans and Hispanics with at least a bachelor's degree has increased quite a bit over the years. Twice as many African Americans have graduated from college in the in the, in the 90s. As it did in the uh, 70s. Education. Twice as many. There you go. 60% increase for Hispanics. Still an income gap, though, between the young white Americans and racial minorities has persisted. And again, there's something you could discuss with the whys for that for uh, for a year and never get to everything. Um, uh, going with the extremes again, institutionalized racism or going maybe to the other extreme, um, uh, cultural n- norms not being... We care about education and getting a job. Right, not achievement-oriented. Those are the extremes. Right. I made them extreme on purpose. Right. Well, those are the flavors vary in different degrees and different people. Um, the trend suggests that 30-somethings today have broken with the prior American rites of passage, including marriage and childbearing, uh, which could slow economic growth, they think. Some uh, economists believe in the future. Video games, self-abuse, and hot pockets. <laughs> Mm? Mm? Sound familiar, anyone? Mm? Uh, 92% of 30 year olds in 1970. I'll go slow because you got to try to. I'm reading this. You got to keep this in your mind. Okay. We're talking about 30 year olds in 1970. All right. 92% of them earned more than their parents did at that age. Okay. Today, half. Which actually is higher than I thought they might say. Yeah, as real wages have been flat for quite some time. But it's cut practically in half. Yeah. From almost everybody to half. Yeah. As a 30-year-old make more money than their parents. You know, at at some point, and if you study history, you know this, at some point things peak. Yeah. And then they just continue to be very good. Yeah. 
You can't have meteoric post-WW2-style growth. Perhaps you remember WW2. Europe was decimated. Japan was a pile of rubble. China was a bunch of people squatting in huts, uh, raising just enough rice to feed themselves. Well, if you could let my And we were a manufacturing colossus, the likes of which the world has never known. So that... Is not going to last. Yes, millennial Positive Sean. Sean. If you could let my spit rent, the it, hot pocket out of your mouth long enough <laughs> to make a comment. If I could get the sentence, yes, the, um, yeah, yeah. If you could tell my rent and the other things that I buy, that hey, everybody, we've peaked. Stop going up. They, we've, we, we're just going to maintain goodness now. That'd be great. Touché. But that's not what happened. Well, there, there's no the rent. It's too damn high. Housing costs as a percentage of income are much, much higher than they were in previous decades. And I still don't think it's as big of a deal as college education costs. Here we go with Which that. Which is Paying a more huge for college. Deal. Yeah, in, that's right. In 1975, college tuition cost twenty four fifty on average for public four-year colleges. That's in today's dollars. Oh, boy. $2,450 in today's dollars. They have here that today, on average, it's $10,000. You'd have to tell me if that sounds like a good average to you for tuition. For public four-year colleges, but that's um, yeah. that's four times as much. I wonder if that includes community colleges. Well, however they looked at it, it's gone. Up, that's cheap. It's four times more right. adjusted for inflation. Right. Here's your argument so just from the left: four times as much. Well, there used to be more subsidies, state subsidies for uh, college education. Here's your uh, uh, counterpoint from the world of reality: the cost per student of non-classroom. Well, the, the uh, non-classroom costs. Bad sentence. But I spitted it out beautifully. Um, that cost has skyrocketed. The number of under-assistant deans of inclusion and d- diversity and disparity and the rest of it. <laughs> right. The non-classroom costs to universities are many, many, many times what they used to be. Add to, add to that stuff, you know, liability and, and insurance costs and the rest of it. They're just... Way, way more expensive. Yeah, we got, so we, the taxpayer we, argument, or the tax money argument, is a weak one. we, we got to tear the whole thing down and start over. You would never... That is clear. You would never craft the current system if you thought, how should we go about educating young people? You would never come up with what we have now. I and, mean, just, it would be crazy. And I think it's also important to point out that not only has the cost of the college degree gone up, but the value of having one has simultaneously gone down. We True have that. flooded the market with people with college degrees, yeah. and, and they are kind of devalued themselves. It, it, it no longer is the the guaranteed gateway to a career that it it once was at least that's what previous people would tell me. one more thing on the college stuff before we uh before we uh take a little break in 1989 this is not even going back to the 70s in 1989 less than 20 percent of families had student debt uh compared with getting close to half now according to the census and the amount owed on average has tripled in that time well it's i guess a scam if costs, i guess if costs have gone up Four times, you'd expect the debt to go up by quite a bit, too. It College is, is. is an enormous ripoff and scam right now. It's also a great experience and valuable, but it's not that valuable. You know, likewise, the American medical system at this point, it, only the cruelest and, and most insane of dictators would design the system we have right now. I had a long text conversation with a doctor the other day about this. It's... It's unimaginably bad. Well, college is a great experience. There are a lot of things that are great experiences and expensive that I decide not to do because I don't think I can afford them. Have you ever swum naked with the dolphins? (laughs) It's amazing. It changed my life. Uh, Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. 
This is one of the top songs, 1975. That's why I'm playing it. Oh, gotcha. Right. So huh? People had it easy back then. Just all you had to do is listen to Glenn Campbell walk out your house and people were throwing money at you. Rent was $4 a month. College <laughs> tuition was 13 a year. And there was Glenn Campbell everywhere. Right. Oh, yeah. You'd walk down the street. There he'd be strumming his guitar. It was great. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. One more stat from this uh, comparison to boomers and millennials and that sort of stuff. Um, currently, 57% of millennials uh, have never been married. In 1985, that's when boomers were around the same age. In 1985 is not when, uh, you know, before television or movies were in black and white or whatever. The I mean, horseless carriage made its first appearance on American roadways. Right. Uh, in 1985, only a third had never been married. So it's gone from a third never married to 57% never married from 85 till now. That's mm-hmm. that's quite a change and trend. I mean, it's been going steadily the same way. Right. No reason to think it's going to stop either uh, in terms of structuring society. And we talked yesterday a lot about the, um, you know, practically nobody living with their parents to uh, the majority of people living with their parents. Well, and the number of people who are living with their parents at age 30 blew my mind. I, I, oh my God, that was a, the, the, the idea of living with my parents at age 22 was abhorrent to me. Yeah. So, but that's me, you know, kind of a lone wolf. Uh, so listen, uh, we made mention of the fact that these numbers, uh, the birth rate in particular spells utter complete, irrevocable collapse of our welfare state. Trump-free Tuesday, by the way, if you're just joining us. Oh, yeah, hashtag us. TFT. It's a Trump-free Tuesday, so. Everybody do it with me. Hashtag, t- nobody's doing it with me. <laughs> oh, us, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. So anyway, um, the, the numbers are inescapable about the welfare state. It will collapse if we don't have a growing population for the, you know what, I almost said very few of you, but that's probably not true. For, for those of you who don't understand that you have not been, quote-unquote, putting away Social Security money, you have had it taken from your paycheck. It has been instantly redistributed to current oldsters. There is no slush fund. Well, there, there's a little bit, but it's about to go broke. Um, a trust fund, I guess, is the term they use. But at any rate, so we're not having nearly enough babies to continue to support the pyramid scheme that is Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, etc., and and so and we made mention of the fact that that's why both parties are interested in importing millions of immigrants, illegal and otherwise. But the illegal kind are great because then you don't have to have any laws about, um, you know, how many you let in. You just kind of sort of turn a blind eye at the borders. Um, and that's absolutely undeniable. And and I don't want to. Well, what the hell? I will go off on illegal immigration. 
uh, it's if it's at all mysterious to you why the Democrats and Republicans have failed to do anything about this, even as they trumpet their interest in solving the problem year after year after year after year. It's not only that the Democrats are trying to import and register and get to vote millions and millions of Hispanic people, as many as possible. And it's not only that Republicans and their industrial and, and farm supporters want as many laborers as they can possibly get. It's that all of the people in Congress, now there are some stupid Congress people, no doubt, but most of them are pretty smart and they can do math. They understand that they have to prop up the welfare state, so that's why they haven't done anything about immigration. Witness this move. House GOP leaders, this is from Politico, are reneging on a vote on a vow, rather, to hold an immigration vote before the August recess. This after Kevin McCarthy and, uh, and others had sworn to key Congress people, backed up by Paul Ryan, by the way, that they would have a vote on a guest worker program before the August recess because the people in their district were screaming for it. And it was critical because it persuaded Reps Dennis Ross of Florida, Dan Newhouse of Washington, and others not to sign on to an effort to force a vote on legislation creating a pathway to citizenship for dreamers, etc. Dreamers, dream, listen to me, DACA recipients. Uh, the immigrants brought to the country illegally as children, etc., etc. Um, it fell two signatures short to have that vote, to force the vote, based on we'll have a vote on a guest worker program. But now they're not going to have it. And they're thinking this is going to ruin Kevin McCarthy, the halfwits, uh credibility and and cause a real shakeup in the house. Now they're trying to promise those same people. Yeah, yeah, I know we said we would before August, but I promise we'll do it in the fall. I promise. And not only will we have a vote, we'll get the 218 votes needed to actually pass the measure and do something about this stuff. Uh, But they won't. Can we promise something fun? Will, according to science, the most danceable number one hits. We'll play a little bit of the most danceable songs. According to science, coming up in, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes. So you grind your way through the college or university of your choice. You probably do some grad school as well. You got the white lab coat, you got the degree, and you think, let's see, what should I turn my scientific acumen to? Months of calculus, dreams of biological papers, etc. Physics, I got physics out the wazoo. How about what songs are the most dancey? <laughs> I'll bet it's, you certainly could be funded by, um, you know, a record company. You, you figure out what makes songs the most danceable. Sure. You figure All out, pop music's formulaic anyway, so. Yeah, you figure out the, you know, the, the magic sauce or whatever that makes the song super popular dance-wise, and you just print money. Yep. That might be what's behind it. By the way, speaking of popular, you know what the number one book on the New York Times was last week? I don't know about this week. I haven't checked. Charles Krauthammer's book, um... Things that matter. Things that matter. Yeah. Since he died, that book has gotten enough attention. It's number one, which I'm happy That's to see. Nice. I've got it next to my uh, bed at home, and I've been jumping into various chapters, whether you're reading about Russia or chess. It's all very interesting. Mm. A beautiful man. No longer with us. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, story getting national attention now. San Francisco transportation officials scrambling after a string of deadly attacks. Three possible homicides in five days. And we got a bold new way for you to avoid those crippling college student loans. Stories coming up. The key to Change the, your name. The key to the <laughs> murders on transit uh, to me is them not telling us about it. That is the yep. key part of that story. You got to let people know when that's going on. So I want to hear the story behind the story on that. And danceable songs all on the way on a Trump-free Tuesday on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
not got a politician to take his pants off. We haven't talked about that yet. What's holding us back? The important issues of the day, Jack. Mm. Also, the most danceable songs coming up, according to a computer, according to an algorithm. Wow. Fascinating. So, uh, just uh, one final quick note on illegal immigration politics. So, uh, Kevin, the halfwit McCarthy, and the entire California delegation have been under pressure from ag groups in the state that want them to reject the guest worker bill. I was surprised when I read that. I thought ag wants lots of guest workers. Well, no, because they fear that, they fear that the E-Verify require, requirement would make it too difficult to find eligible workers. So, much like Obamacare, the nice stuff we want, the adult responsibility stuff we do not want. And so McCartney, or McCarthy rather, and folks have not let it come to the floor because it, it has too many requirements for actually checking if people are here legally. So it's a guest worker bill that has no provision for figuring out if somebody's a, a legal guest worker that and, they're looking for. And the reason for that is, I my guess is, because I drive by fields full of, I would guess, illegals yeah. on a regular basis when it's planting season or harvesting season. And the road is, uh, my county road is just bumper to bumper, cars parked off the side of the road. People driving in in like four hundred dollar cars, and uh, and planting tomatoes or picking tomatoes or whatever. And I'm guessing a lot of them are illegals. And I'm I'm thinking if people would be honest, they'd say you would turn this entire industry upside down if all of a sudden you decided to enforce this. If I may quote more than thirty California agricultural groups in the letter sent to McCarthy, as the highest ranking Californian in the U.S. contracts, blah blah blah. We want to reinforce to you that implementation of this bill would devastate food production in our state. The whole immigration thing is such a house of mirrors and such a collection of lies designed to whip you up and get you to the polls on both sides. You can't keep it this way. It should have never started this way. But now that it's this way, you can't all of a sudden uh, just say, okay, you you have to verify that these people are legal. What? I've been in business for 30 years farming doing it this way. How am I going to do it the other way? And you, my congressman, have been telling me to keep going. Yeah. Uh, let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Story about a dangerous ride. Three deadly attacks in five days on San Francisco's Bay Area Rapid Transit System, otherwise known as BART. The latest on Sunday. Two sisters waiting for a train at the Oakland BART station stabbed in an apparently unprovoked attack. Oh, that's brutal. One of the victims, 18-year-old Nia Wilson, died of her injuries. Her sister is still in the hospital. Now, the suspect, a 27-year-old parolee, was taken into custody by BART police after passengers called the police to say the suspect was at another BART station on Monday night. It turns out the two previous deadly incidents, which happened on Saturday Real and Wednesday... Quickly, before we move on to that, this guy, see if this rings a bell, uh, a bell to you. Yeah. He's a vagrant who's been arrested over and over and over again. He's been charged and convicted of crimes, including violence. And they just keep letting him go. Sounds and now like he's the, stabbed a girl to death. Sounds like the very guy my family ran into. God dang it. And when you find out yeah. that, that the, the person that you've encountered has been doing this for years and is still out on the streets, right. it's very frustrating. It, God dang it. That's unbelievable. It turns out the two previous deadly incidents, which happened on Saturday and Wednesday and left two men dead, were not disclosed by BART police until Monday after the San Francisco Chronicle began asking about them. The agency, BART, has in the past been criticized for withholding information about crimes on trains and in stations. 
The BART police chief, Carlos Rojas, said in an interview his department had not been in a position to talk about the prior two cases until Sunday. That's when the first victim's autopsy linked his death to injuries from a fight on BART and when the second victim died in a hospital. Of an infection. Yeah, that's what you need to know about those two deaths is they're both injured on or around uh, BART train and then died at the the hospital and at home. Right. And so it took a while to figure that out. But when they found out, they didn't rush to disclose it, as they always do. Did did they disclose the attack to start with? That's a good question. The violence to start with. you got to let everybody know, a couple of people have been attacked on BART. They're in the hospital right now. At this now. station or that station, right. here's yeah. the perps. Yeah. yeah, in the Chronicle report, they said they they came across the attack in one of the logs that they filed. One right. Of the, one they, of the, they tried, well, my point is, yeah. they, and they've been doing this forever, and cities all across America do this, they try to hide this information from us because they know we'll freak out and stop writing, which we will, and we should, because it's not safe. It's unbelievable. You don't get to hide this information from people. You can't do that. One of the victims, 47-year-old guy, knocked unconscious by a single punch yep. from some young tough whose picture is being widely distributed. Um, he went home, felt terrible, got treatment a couple of times, then died of his brain right. injury, apparently, that they hadn't figured out. And then you try to slip it into some sort of paperwork somewhere and hope that nobody notices. Why? Bad publicity. What do you care? Got a budget. Hmm. New satellite images are showing North Korea appears to have begun dismantling facilities at its main rocket test launch site. That's according to a prominent monitoring group called 38 North. They're saying this looks like a real step toward fulfilling a commitment made by Kim Jong-un at his summit with President Trump last month. And if you're a basketball player and you want to go left, you jerk your head and your body right. And that looks like you're going right. So this is probably a feint. It's probably a head fake. You think? We don't know. Yeah, just wait till the proof is irrefutable before you believe a single thing out of North Korea. It's not impossible that this is a sincere move toward something. But even if it is, look, we're dismantling it. You go, you inspect it. Yeah, they did. They took it apart. You got to make sure there isn't a new facility they're building somewhere else and or this is a way to build uh, to a... by six months as they continue to work covertly on arms that they never, ever, ever intend to give up. So you're dealing with an adversary that always lies. Just remember that. Some colleges are offering students now the option of having their tuition paid in exchange for giving the schools a ah, percentage of their future salaries. The alternative is being presented as a way to uh, have uh, graduates avoid entering the work world with a lot of student loan debt. Under the income share agreement, students pay back a percentage of their salary for a set period of time, and if they're unemployed or earning below a certain threshold, they don't have to pay anything back. Now, some Mm. supporters of income share agreements say they give schools an incentive to help the students find higher earning jobs after graduation. But others are warning that because employment and salary determine repayment, it's possible providers could discriminate against recipients who choose lower paying professions. Who would discriminate against them? The people who are offering the loans saying, oh, well, you probably wouldn't be able to pay much of this back if you go into A, B, C, or D. 
But if you become a lawyer or, you know, a computer whiz, uh, you'll be able to pay a bigger chunk of this back. So, you know, all this sounds fairly intriguing and creative, except that I'm sure the taxpayers end up on the hook at some yeah. point. So we were talking earlier about, about the whole university right. thing has got to be blown up and we got to start over and rethink the whole thing. And Jack is not advocating blowing up any universities. And I'm hoping the online thing is, is what takes over. But um, the, the problem with this move toward free college for everybody that I'm afraid is gaining steam is that will cause it to never get reformed. Correct. Never get fixed. We'll just continue with this. Why does it cost this much money to give knowledge to someone when it's right there available online? We'll just continue down that road because nobody pays for it. It's free. And Jack, there is the great lesson about big government. Who's the constituency for battling colleges to get their costs down or at least not make them rise anymore? It's it's students and parents who are angry at the cost. You remove that anger, you have a perpetual bloat machine. I don't know if you're ever going to get costs down with universities. I think an alternative has to come along that everybody decides, you know, anybody middle class and below is going to decide, well, we're going to do this. Um, And then that'll change things. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I would love to see the difference in budgets. Between a university in, you know, 1972 and one currently. Oh, yeah. Where the money goes, who's making what. Because professors, teachers, I know what's going on right now. They're they're farming out all the classes to temp professors, or temp teachers, I should say. Temp instructors and not, you know, not having full professors because it's cheaper. And all the money is pouring into administration. You know what you do a lot of in college? Dancing! The most danceable songs according to a computer. Science. They think they've figured out the formula for what makes you want to dance. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hashtag TFT, it's a Trump-free Tuesday. Uh, Marshall has dropped his name a few times, but Marshall's incorrigible. True enough, and there have been repercussions out back. Wow. Wow. We're not going to talk about it. Well, we shouldn't. Georgia lawmaker featured on Borat's new controversial show, shouting racial slurs, dropping his pants, and making fun of Chinese people. Stay tuned for the shocking and stupid, stupid details. <laughs> I don't know much about this story other than how do you get hooked by Borat to that extent, but I want to hear it. Also, and this could be a violation of safe spaces on universities. A Stanford student has threatened to beat the hell out of people who disagree with him. But since he's a progressive, it's okay. Like he just states it that way? Yes. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Yes. <laughs> I don't agree with that policy. <laughs> Yeah, well, so um, there's some songs that uh, come on at the bar or a wedding or wherever you are, and uh, and everybody runs to the dance floor. You, you practically can't help yourself but dance, right? I can, but a lot of people can. How can that be explained, Jack? So some songs are way more danceable than others, and they uh, trigger something in our brain. And so uh, students at an MIT media lab, they'd be among the smartest people in the world. 
people at MIT. Although the dumbest at MIT probably go to the media lab. Just saying. <laughs> well, uh, I don't get all these atoms and quarks. Mm. How about the media lab for you, Jimmy? They identified the attributes of songs such as instrumentation, key signature. Key signature has an effect on how danceable a song is? I doubt it. I doubt it, too. Um, I'm not dancing to that. E flat. Screw Please. that! Good hell! <laughs> um, and also, valence? What's valence? Oh, that's the most important factor. I, I've, I've studied music since I was a wee lad. I don't know what valence is. V-A-L-E-N-C-E. Can you look that up? I don't know. Uh, they... The combining power of an element... Uh, especially measured by the number. No, that's not oh, musical. Valence and covalence. I remember that from science. Valence. But, but what's that got to do with danceable songs? I haven't the slightest idea. Um, uh, the company created a, an algorithm algorithm to determine the danceability of a song based on its tempo and beat regularity and all the stuff that we just mentioned. Anyway, I know the drummer in my band a long time ago called 120 beats per minute the brainwash beat. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Is that the one that when you're in a club, which I haven't done for many, many years, but the music's just going digga, 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 and you're just like, I, I don't doom, even know where doom, I am. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> um, yeah, for hours. The too. big flaw in this that if they weren't science geeks, they would have been aware of, but the big flaw in this is that they, they, they only looked at number one songs, and many of the most popular dance songs ever didn't make it to number one for all kinds of reasons that have got nothing to do with how danceable it is. Sure. So it seems psychologists have used the scientific phrase valence and kind of co-opted it to describe whether something is likely to make somebody feel happy or not. You know what we're in danger mm. of doing it, and I started, is taking something that should be a lot of fun and we're going to play music and turning it into a really boring, trying to figure out the definition of scientific terms. I blame myself. Because uh, we've got clips for all these songs, the top 20 songs. I blame you, too. So we can... <laughs> <laughs> Add me to the list. So we're agreed. That's right. Yeah, Jesus. Michael's co-signer. Why didn't I just jump to right above the bat, coming out of commercials? Hey, here's clips of the most danceable songs. Um, and I'm not going to play all 20 of them. I don't know all 20 of them, but they range from, well, hit me with number 20, In the Club by 50 Cent. That's loud. Ooh, turn this down. Okay, so that is as, just about exactly as danceable as number 19, Billy Joel, it's still rock and roll to me from 1980. Really? Which is interesting because, I mean, completely different sounding songs. But I think you can hear the valence in there and the key signature. I think it's valence. And the key signature is is important. Like Richie Valence, the 50s rock star. Um, I think that's probably roughly 120 beats per minute, too. So you think it's got more to do with that than the valence? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna go. Isn't that the, a part of curtains? Not like, not the curtain, but the little thing that's above the curtain. I think that's a valance. I'm gonna new, new and old. This one, number fifteen. I don't even, I don't even know if I know this song. This is way back from 1974. Oh yeah, number fifteen. This is Dion Warwick. Then came you. Oh please. Okay. This is a great song. Does this if this is playing at a wedding, are you immediately on the floor? Oh, are you kidding me? With, with your well, shoes I'm already on the floor. With your shoes and socks off. <laughs> and my tie loosened, you've seen me. <laughs> but then it could be because this is right behind number thirteen, Hollaback Girl from Gwen Stefani. Which is super danceable. Apparently at number Only 13. slightly more danceable than what's her name? Beyond Warwick. Did Dionne Warwick become a fake TV psychic? Yeah, I yes, believe so, yes, yeah. Or, or certainly their pimp. 
Can we look forward to Gwen Stefani being a fake TV psychic in like 10 years? That'd be great. I certainly am. With, a, with, with flat abs. I'm going to jump way up to um, number 10. Look at my belly button. Now call 1-800-SEE-THE-FUTURE. Number 10, no doubt this is one of the most danceable songs of all time, whether you're an MIT professor checking out the balance or whatever. Uh, Billie Jean from Michael Jackson. I guarantee every single one of these songs is between 116 and 124 beats per minute. So you think it's the beat per minute thing, huh? What's that? That's that's where it starts. Number six, I I was a disc jockey for a long time uh, at bars and clubs. Never got anybody on the dance floor with this song ever. And MIT claims this is the number six most danceable song. Another one bites the dust. Didn't make people want to dance when any time I played it. Hmm. Maybe you didn't play it right. Maybe it wasn't a bunch of MIT scientists I was playing it for. Maybe they danced a different song. Number four. This is the one my kids want to dance to almost every single day. I have to play it for them. And the lyrics are stupid. Ice Ice Baby from Vanilla Ice, 1990. The lyrics to this song are so stupid. I'm calling the county on you. Bad parenting. For playing Vanilla Ice. Slice like a ninja. Cut like a razor blade. <laughs> Because he's so tough and bad and silly. Oh, he didn't get to the top couple. Eh, I'll tell you. Um, Bringing Sexy Back, Justin Timberlake was number two. Give It To Me, Timbaland, number one. Uh, Timberland actually did the beats for both of the top two songs. I'll be damned. Genius. I don't know if you see anything that uh, crossover in those songs. or I don't know. Thump, 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 thump. That's that's your main thing. That's what I hear. Hmm. And a hook so big it could catch a whale. Then you go off to be a fake psychic. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.